Well, good morning, TCBC. How are we doing? Nah, it's not that bad. Come on, the rain's going away. Humidity's going back down. It's going to be a cool, brisk morning And when we leave here this, after this service. Come on, how are we doing? Okay, that's a little bit better. Uh, I've been waiting for years to come to be on this platform. Uh, I think this is our fourth invitation. Uh, and finally, we made it here. The first three didn't work out for various reasons. Uh, of course, the pandemic was one of them, so that wasn't my fault or your fault. That was just under the sovereignty of God's plan. So I'm not sure what was going on here that God didn't want me driving here. But uh, he definitely taught us a lot through that time. It is so exciting to finally be here in East Tennessee. So I grew up in North Carolina. I was born in Virginia. My family dates back to the 1600s, somewhere just north of the Virginia, North Carolina line, south of Richmond, and then, and then for about 150 more years, right outside of Raleigh-Durham uh, area. And, uh, but I, when I was young, my parents traipsed me all over East Tennessee, uh, from the state lines to, from Virginia, North Carolina, all the way over to Knoxville. Uh, so we could go and, and listen to all kinds of gospel singings back in the 70s. Amen. I hear, I hear an amen right there. That's good. That's good. I think, uh, where's the worship team? We need a little Dixie Echoes in here this morning if, if we could. Uh, but it is a pleasure and such a blessing to finally be able to be here with you this morning uh, on, on this Sunday morning. I know it's taken a while, but I, I do love East Tennessee. I love East Tennessee. There's something that just relaxes me about East Tennessee. And I know that you probably understand that, and it's hard to explain sometimes when people, you know, say, where, where do you live? You say East Tennessee, and they go, oh, what's there? Well, there's, it's East Tennessee. I mean, that's what it is. You drive around, and you, you just take in the breadth of, of God's beauty and what he's, what he's fashioned here on the eastern uh, third of the state of Tennessee. Uh, obviously, uh, I've been here enough to know this is the first of the three states of Tennessee, uh, so for those of you that know, you know, and so I understand there's a central and then there's a West Tennessee, but East Tennessee was first. And the reason I say it was first is because as people made their way when, when they were exploring, you just have to come to the East Tennessee portion before you get anywhere else. So it makes it first. And I like first, uh, as I said, I come from Virginia and I'm at Liberty University, uh, the other Lynchburg that exists in this region, <laughs> the one in Virginia, it's also the one that is home to the Conference USA Division I football champion Liberty Flames, who pounded New Mexico State uh, two nights ago and uh, is now 13-0, and one of only, I don't know how many, is it three or four teams now that are undefeated? Uh, and, and so I know that that doesn't seem very spiritual and in line with remembering to anticipate, but I'm anticipating a bowl win. Okay, so I will not forget to anticipate a bowl win. We've won uh, every, I think, every bowl we've played in so far. We've had three or four since we've been in FBS, but uh, I'll leave that to the pundits this afternoon. But Tennessee is a, a great place for us to be, and we, we're, we're so glad to be here with you this morning. Well, here we are again. It's Christmas time. Christmas is in full swing, as Daniel didn't fail to, to draw our attention to as we, as we opened up this morning. And there is no other season that builds our anticipation like Christmas. I, I, I don't even care what your, your, your philosophical meanderings are about the meaning of Christmas. 
We can just say Christmas, and no matter who you are, no matter where you came from, no matter what you've experienced, there is great anticipation that comes with Christmas. There's no other season like it. It's like that classic Christmas carol, the the Christmas song, which is best sung by the one and only Nat King Cole, where he said, tiny tots with their eyes all aglow will do what? Find it hard to sleep tonight. Why do they find it hard to sleep tonight? Because they know that Santa's on his way He's loaded lots of toys and goodies on his sleigh. Christmas comes with anticipation for all of us. And there is no doubt most of us can recall fond memories of great anticipation for Christmas morning. Uh, In fact, I I can recall a couple of times in my life where the anticipation overcame me. And so I snuck in uh, around the corner in the kitchen uh, there in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I grabbed the keys of my parents' 1979 Ford LTD Landau, two-door, mind you, which was a pain to get in with four kids, and I snuck out and I popped the trunk and realized all our Christmas gifts were in the trunk. It was, it was awesome for about 30 seconds until my mom comes flying out the front door and uh, threatening to take everything that, that, that was going to be given to me, take it all back, which I knew she wasn't going to do because, you know why? Because she anticipates Christmas as well. We all anticipate Christmas, don't we? We all anticipate those moments because as kids, we want to get the gifts. As parents, we can't wait to give the gifts. We want to see the faces. We want to see all that that excitement. And as grandparents that are in here, we can't wait to give ourselves. Honestly, it's that moment where we know it's more than the gifts. It's more than the getting. uh, It's more than the receiving and more than the giving. it's, It's actually being a part of that heritage and that life. We can't wait to give ourselves the anticipation of Christmas morning so much more. Beloved, what we look forward to will prioritize everything we do. Don't miss this. The things that we look forward to, whatever has the gaze of our anticipation, will prioritize the rest of our life and everything we do. See, our anticipation for good things to come always fills us with an internal drive and motivation to press on. When we know there is something good coming, we can press on when we face adversity or we run into obstacles or or we feel like we don't have the energy to move forward and we're just done. But when we know there's something ahead that's a promise that is good to come for our good and benefit and, and it motivates us to move forward, we know that help is on the way and we can hold off for one more hour, one more day, one more week, maybe one more year. Anticipation finds all of us and provides such a blessing in the, in the lived experience of being called a child of God, a daughter and a son of the king. You see, this season reminds us of the waiting and anticipation of a promise. For nearly 4,000 years, from the time Adam and Eve were in the garden, and they broke God's commands, they responded in their own selfish desires and did a little spin on the technicality of what God had said. You do know that when we spin absolute truth, that is called technically a lie. It's not real hard to figure out. And from that moment in Genesis chapter three until the promise, because the curse then was was brought about by God as he spoke into their lives and told them the consequences of that, but there was a promise built into that because God's intention was not to leave us in a broken state. His intention was to redeem us to a right relationship with him. And so in Genesis 3, there's a promise of one who would come, 
whose heel would be bruised, who would, but, but the one who would crush the head of the evil one, of Satan himself. And from that Genesis moment in chapter 3 until Jesus arrived on that Christmas evening, debate it all you want. I, I got people that want to debate us all the time. Is it December 25th? Is it in February? Is it sometime in June or July? Here's what I do know. He was born in flesh, the God-man. Now, we can talk about how important it is when, but the reality is his promises are true. And they waited for 4,000 years from Genesis to that night in Bethlehem under that, under that bright star in that humble little town. I don't know if you've ever been to Bethlehem. It's not a very impressive spot on the planet. But God took a little town that's not very impressive and he entered existence there. He, he, he demonstrated Emmanuel. God with us in that moment. For 4,000 years, they had waited for a promise, the promise of a redeemer, the promise of a deliverer, the promise of a savior, the promise of a king, the promise of a lamb. Christmas is the fulfillment of the promise. And the anticipation is satisfied in the Christ child born that Christmas morning. Whatever date you choose, I'm going to stick with December 25th. What keeps us striving forward is both the promise realized over 2,000 years ago from our time and the promise that he will return and bring his kingdom with him yet to come. It's both yesterday and it's still yet to come. The promise is still being seen, demonstrated. The, the promise that came and the promise that will come. Because he said in John chapter 14, if I go, I will come again. The promise is still there. Only this promise came right from the mouth of Jesus himself to his disciples. So this morning, as we remember to anticipate, it is so exciting to see how this moves forward from that Christmas morning throughout the Gospels and then into these letters that Paul wrote as the church was beginning to thrive, grow, be faithful, and see incredible fruit. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning, we're going to dive into the first eight verses and see what Paul was trying to convey to Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, about what he needed to do, how he needed to anticipate as a leader, as a follower of Jesus, as one who was commissioned to care for the brethren. 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's read together. Starting in verse 1, I'm going to read down through verse 8. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when People will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And I love these last three verses. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith, Paul says. He wraps this paragraph up and says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, 
the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. Jesus, this, this morning is a gift that you've given to us. Our fellowship that we have under one name, one faith, one salvation, one baptism, one body is a gift from you to us. Father, I pray that we would receive that gift and we would hear the words that Paul is, 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 is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Timothy here, but also to encourage us and to exhort and train us even in this moment that we would be more faithful to you in this local gathering of believers under your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Beloved, I, I don't know if you, you, you kind of catch this in these first few words of 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul charges this young pastor of the Ephesian church. This morning, the word of God charges us in the same way. Paul charges Timothy to preach the word. It's packaged right there at the beginning of verse 2. This charge is seen nowhere else in Paul's writings. But I don't know, let, let me read this one more time. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom. I don't know if you can feel the weight of this charge. I don't know if you can feel the, the, the intensity of this charge. When I read this charge, I almost want to yell and go grab a staff and stick it in the ground, just like Gandalf did in that movie as the Barlog was chasing them from the, from the, from the, the, the mines of Moriah. This, this evil, hideous-looking creature comes with fire and smoke and smoldering. He's chasing them. They're on their journey to accomplish their mission. There's a fellowship of the ring, and they're, they're, they're commissioned together to support one another towards this end. And this Barlog is chasing them because they had to go through the mountain. You ever had to go through the mountain? I mean, think about life. And this charge that Paul gives Timothy is a charge that feels just like Gandalf when he stood there. And that they came out of, the, out of the mines and there's this thin little bridge and they're running across this bridge. And, and Gandalf finally is the last one out of the, out of the cave coming across the bridge and the barlog is coming after him. He's like 85,000 times their size. And as they all get across, Gandalf makes sure they're getting safely across and he turns with his staff and he says, with this light... He says, you cannot pass. And the creature still lunges. And then Gandalf sticks that staff into that bridge. You shall not pass. That, that creature lunges one more time. And after that proclamation, that creature lunges. And in that movie scene, I love the way they visualize what Tolkien put into words. The bridge crumbles. And that creature falls to the depths. And if you've seen the movie, if you've read the book, you know that as that creature falls to the depths, one last flail slings his whip. As Gandalf turns to his, his, his band of, of adventurous, that whip wraps around his ankles and the barlark pulls him. He falls to the floor and gets pulled to the edge and he grabs on to the edge of that cliff of that bridge. He looks up at him. And you remember, if you've seen it, he says this, you fools, run. <laughs> what are you looking at? There's almost an intensity here that Paul is saying to Timothy. It's the end for Paul. 
His time, we already read in verse 6, his time is coming. And Paul charges Timothy, Timothy, you fool, preach the word. Because everything is going to oppose this. Preach the word. Don't miss that, 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 that emphasis that Paul is making. You can feel the sheer force of Paul's words here because it's of utmost importance. Paul charges Timothy to preach the word. Beloved, the proclamation of the word of God that he has just cited, by the way, if you go back a few verses into chapter 3, he's just cited and talked about the high view we have of God's word. This is not just a printed page. Don't miss this one. We've printed words on a page. We've taken nice, on this one, nice goatskin leather. Oh, I just love the smell of this. It's great. But that's not what this book is. This book is the literal breath of God, he tells us in chapter 3 and verse 16. The priority of understanding what God has given us is that we should preach the breath of God. We should preach Jesus because we see in John chapter 1 that Jesus is the word Every single word made flesh. And you can feel this intensity and this proclamation that he's just cited at the end of chapter 3 is paramount to, well, everything. Everything falls under the authority of the word of God. It is the only truth that we can trust. Listen, that's why and that's what Advent really is. It was the coming of the word made flesh. It wasn't, it wasn't just a scene of a baby in a manger. It wasn't just wise men who came from, from eastern lands and brought gifts to worship him, the king of kings and the lord of lords. It wasn't even just the humble servants that were Mary and even Joseph and the shepherds who were, who were outcasts in their own community who were invited to participate. It wasn't just the angels who sang and heralded his, 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 his appearance. It was literally the breath of God becoming flesh and being with us. That's what Advent is. When we anticipate now, we don't anticipate what has happened. We can look forward because the faith that has been delivered to us is a faith that is now for the future and lived out now towards a promise. And so we can anticipate what he will bring. Paul here in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy he charges Timothy, but he also, he, 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 he brings Timothy and instructs him on anticipation. Stay with me. Paul is calling Timothy to anticipate right out of the gate in these first couple of verses. He calls him to anticipate God's reckoning and God's return. Right out of the gate, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. By the way, of God and especially of Jesus Christ... He links that with the, the reckoning, the judgment, because we, we know that only Jesus will be the judge. Judgment is, is given to the hands of Christ alone. He says, I charge you in the name of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. I'm not going to unpack that this morning, okay? Back home, we had a whole series during the summer. We walked through all of Revelation in 12 weeks. And if you think that's hard to do, trust me, it is very hard to do. Especially when I was given Revelation 19 and 20 for one Sunday. So that was, it was a long message, needless to say. 
But what Paul is saying here is that Jesus Christ alone is to judge the living and the dead. Those who are in him that will be called up, he will judge them. Those who have died before in the body of Christ that will be raptured and, and will meet them in the air, they'll be called up first, he will judge them as well. And he says he is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing, it says return, and by his kingdom, which all authority to judge falls under his kingdom. Paul calls Timothy, anticipate the return of Jesus. He's coming back. Everything you're striving for is going to be, is going to be consummated with his next return. And he will handle all of the struggles that I'm getting ready to tell you are headed your way by his own judgment, by the reckoning that comes from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Paul calls Timothy to anticipate God's reckoning and God's return. But then he also calls Timothy to anticipate his calling. For us in this room, we need to anticipate our calling. He says, God's reckoning and his return now puts you in a position to then anticipate your calling, Timothy, and your calling is to preach the word, to focus on the word, to be ready in season and out of season. I don't know if you understand the word anticipation, but anticipating is knowing what's coming and trying to surmise and discern what is coming and then make preparation for that event. Timothy is being told by Paul here, Paul, uh, Timothy, you need to anticipate your calling to preach the word, so you must be ready. You must be ready when you're scheduled to go talk, and you must be ready when you're not scheduled to go talk. You must be ready when you're teaching a small group at, at Tri-Cities Baptist Church or hosting a group in your home, or if you're on a mission trip and you've been asked to, to share as a, along the way and to, and, to, and to teach, or if you're doing VBS and you're teaching, you got to be ready. But you also got to be ready when you sit down at a coffee shop and someone looks and sits down beside you and, and, and you can see on their face, something's not right. you got to look up. Timothy, you've got to look up and you've got to be ready in season and out of season. Anticipate that I am placing opportunities in front of you where you will not just give someone advice, you will preach the word. Now, beloved, don't, 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 don't take my words off to, too far. I'm not trying to tell you you're supposed to stand up in Starbucks and start, start preaching a sermon. What I'm telling you is the real sermons that get preached are those when we share from our intimate walks with Christ in intimate settings and have gospel conversations with those who just need someone to listen and show sensitivity and concern for their struggle. And it's in those moments that sometimes it's out of season. He says, Timothy, you need to anticipate your calling to preach the word in season and out of season. And in order to, to anticipate, you've got to lean back on chapter 3 and verse 16 because you're called to anticipate so then God's word will reprove, it will rebuke, it will exhort, and with patience you will teach. You've got to anticipate your calling. Where in our world and where in our daily lives does God give us opportunities sometimes to reprove? You see, God has not called us to go find every ideology that's gone awry in our culture and create organizations that want to run hard after that. You know what God's called us to do? To preach the word. See, we don't have to go calling out the darkness. The darkness is there. What we have to do is hold up the truth. And sometimes holding up the truth is not what I'm doing. Sometimes holding up the truth is what I live out every single day. It's what I live out when I go to Shakers in Lynchburg, Virginia, and someone is watching. It's what I live out when I go to a store and I'm buying something and, and, the, and the customer service isn't really great. Because I promise you, it processes in my mind. 
Because I'm like a marketer salesman sometimes and thinking about everyone's experience in those things. But in that moment, you know what I'm thinking about? How will the person on the other side of this desk either be encouraged or discouraged by the way I respond? That's preaching the word out of season. You see, he called him to reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with complete patience to teach. And we're obligated because of the truth that we have, that we need to, we need to bring right perspective. We need to sometimes come confrontationally with a brother or a sister and lovingly, not publicly. There's, no, there's nothing in here that would indicate that the outworkings of that involves Facebook. There's nothing in here that says that. Zero. In fact, actually, it probably is. It's in another passage. It's called Ten Commandments. Because you bear false witness against your brother. Even if you speak some of the truth, when you throw it out to everyone on Facebook, you have, I promise you, you've borne false witness. Paul says, rebuke, reprove, exhort, and with complete patience teach. Timothy, anticipate our calling, your calling. Number three, he says, Timothy, you need to anticipate opposition to the truth. Opposition to the truth. In, chat, in verse three, he says, for the time is coming. How much more could we not understand Paul's communication to Timothy to anticipate than when he says, for the time is coming? I mean, that's a phrase that actually should be in a book somewhere. When you look up the word anticipation, it should say, frequently introduced by, the time is coming. <laughs> he says, for the time is coming, Timothy, the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate not just go find one, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. The time is coming, Timothy. Now, I, I don't know, I love Paul's metaphor. He's so good at the illustrations uh, all throughout his letters and his writings. I don't know if you, you every one of us in here have had an itching ear, right? Like, like literally, I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about literally. You, you've had an itch in your ear. And I, I'll be honest with you. It's one of the greatest feelings in the world when you scratch that itch. Because it relieves, it gives you that, oh, yeah, that was good. Oh, oh, it was driving me crazy. And what Paul's saying is there are issues from the truth of God's word that drive people nuts because it comes and, it, and it's in contest, it's opposition to the truth of God. And they, they start to, ah, oh, this doesn't feel right. It doesn't, I'm going to go find somebody that can, reach that one back there oh. but maybe we were intended to wrestle through that Paul says there are people coming there's a time coming when God's people when the people that you're serving they'll have itching ears and they'll be driven by their own passions they'll be driven to be justified in how they spend their money they'll be driven to justified in the in the in the latitude they take with relationships around them Husbands and wives will be looking for people to say, it's okay to spend time with a, that person. I know you're married, but it's, it's not a big deal. You haven't gone this far. You see, that's what happens when we have itching ears driven by our own passions. We go find somebody who will give us the answer that we like. It's called in our culture today, it's called your truth, right? That's what we call it. Well, that's your truth. That's my truth. I don't have truth. 
No human being on the planet since the beginning of time has truth. None of us have an ownership of truth. I'm going to drop a word on you, and it's okay. Uh, I've been dropping this word since 1994 when Daniel was an undergrad at Liberty University. God himself is the repository of all truth. You see, a depository, okay, a depository is where you go put stuff in. A repository is, is what holds it all. You don't have to go put stuff in. It's being held there. God himself is the holder and the repository of all truth. There's not my truth and your truth. I don't have to be driven by my own passion. I have to be faithful to what he says right here. He says, Timothy, you need to anticipate opposition to the truth. And then in verse 4, he says, Timothy, listen, don't, don't miss this. You need to anticipate rejection without wavering. Rejection from others without you wavering. Look at verse 4. He says, and they will turn from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We got a lot of myths. I mean, I'm telling you, it's true, right? God helps those who help themselves. I mean, that's, uh, hang on, let me open up right here. I'll, I'll tell you where that, it's not in here. I got to go get a history book and go run down Benjamin Franklin or James Madison or somebody that made up some really cool statement. It's kind of like when I tell you, uh, whatever we anticipate will shape our priorities for what we do. That's not a Bible verse. It's an application of a principle, but it's not a Bible verse. And Paul says, you got to be careful, Timothy, anticipate. They will not only uh, oppose the truth, but they will run and reject it and go wander off into all kinds of myths. And then he says, number five, Timothy, you need to anticipate God's work. Anticipate God's work. Verse five says, as for you, always be sober-minded. Enduring suffering. Do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. He says, and Timothy, anticipate this. In order for you to do the work of the ministry, in order for you to, to do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry, your mind has got to be sharp. You have to anticipate. There's, there's no one that, that, that is going to run a race or, or you're going to take a test and you think, hmm, maybe if I could drink enough and, I, and I'm kind of lucid, I'll, I'll really perform well on that test. I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. When you go to take a test, you want to be sharp. You want your mind to be clear. You want it to be focused on the truth that's, that's being, being guessed or assessed on that test. Paul is saying you need to anticipate the work that God has given you, Timothy, and you need to make sure your mind stays sharp because what's coming ahead is everything I've given you up to this point. Anticipate God's work in your life. Stay sober. Also, stay strong. Do the things to strengthen your walk with me, Timothy, says, or Paul says to Timothy with, 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 with his Savior. Timothy, stay strong. Walk closely with your Savior and his truth, his word, so you can endure. So you can endure diligently. So you can endure suffering. In other words, your mind has to be sharp and your strength and stamina spiritually has to, be, has to be shored up so you can endure. You need to anticipate the work that God has given you. How can you say I've been called to this work but you make no preparation for that work? Tri-Cities Baptist Church has been doing that. Tri-Cities Baptist Church has been calling and inviting those to step into this training program that's been going on for over 10 years now. That's a great opportunity for many of you. I didn't come here to even promote that. 
That's a great opportunity. That's a great demonstration of what that looks like, to stay sharp and anticipate God's work in your own life. Paul says, Timothy, you need to anticipate. And then we come to the last part of this paragraph. In the last part of this paragraph, we see see Paul now at the end of his life. Listen, Paul is sitting in a cold, dark, dripping maritime prison with mud all around him, insufficient clothing to weather the elements. He's a nobody that has become a joke to all of his enemies. He's been charged with dissension and fracturing Christian community and he's suffering abuse from his jailers. And his work in Ephesus was being torn apart by the wolves who spread false teaching. Truly, his life had come to a situation where his life literally was filled with mud and mire that reflected the current state with which he was living in. But I got to tell you something. What we see here in these last three verses is Paul has a whole different perspective. He's got a completely different perspective than what most people would see with him sitting in that prison, that maritime prison where his days are in, where he tells us, I'm, I'm done, it's coming, it's over. He has a whole completely different perspective, radically different perspective. The old apostle looks up and sees the stars. And in this brief declaration of these three verses, Paul is triumphantly sharing a perspective that we all must embrace. Listen, I, I love when I take my dog out for his evening constitution. Don't let me, con- I, I don't want to make it up more than it is. The evening constitution is I open the door, he walks out in the backyard. Okay, so don't have this picture of me walking along in my neighborhood with my dog. It is the least favorite thing that I have to do. I open the door and he goes out, but so often when I do at night, We open the door and he goes in the backyard and I stand there in my driveway behind my garage and there's so many times where I just do this. On a clear, cold night. Wow. Wow. That email from that that parent who's complaining and saying, why don't you do this for my kid there at your school? I look up at the stars. Wow. Wow. That student who said, you know, it's not fair that I I got this grade, and wow, I look up at the stars. That relationship in my family that's broken, I look up at the stars. I pray, but I also see the perspective. God spoke those stars into existence, and he spoke me into existence. He spoke you into existence gives us another perspective on everything we're navigating. And Paul, in these last three verses, is, is, is looking up at the stars and seeing a different perspective. In verse 6, he's, he's looking up and seeing stars in his present. Numbers 5 and verse 10 gives us a little more dimension here. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Numbers 5 and verse 10, actually the whole first part, the whole first section of Numbers chapter 5 helps to outline, as, as Moses recorded those words, what it means to give sacrifices and bring sacrifices. But packaged in verse 10 is this, is this uh, reference to this drink offering. And, and it says, and you shall offer the drink offering half a hen of wine as food offering. Listen to this, listen to this. Pleasing aroma to the Lord. Paul compared the pouring out of his energy and ministry to the pouring out of a wine of an Old Testament drink offering. 
Such offerings were probably the substitute for the, for the blood used in heathen sacrifices mentioned in Psalm 16 and verse 4. They were totally expended and poured out, listen to this, as an accompaniment to the burnt offering in the sanctuary. In verse 6, Paul says, I, I am an accompaniment being poured out as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Most people look at his situation, they go, this man is nuts. And he goes, no, I can see the stars in my present. I am a drink offering and I am an accompaniment to all the suffering and to the mission of God in this church to be a pleasing aroma to the Lord. In verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Paul now sees the stars in his past. He says, I have kept the course. I finished it. He said, I fought a good fight. When we read those words, words matter. And when you see the words, I fought a good fight. This is not George Foreman. It's not Ali, Frazier, or anybody that's in the octagon now on TV. So much deeper. It's more than a punch coming your way. It's a life that has been lived, navigating everything, especially the things that he talks about in the book of Acts with the churches there and all the suffering that he's been through. He says, I have fought the good fight. The race didn't end for me. I finished it. By the way, Paul didn't see the return of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't see the planting of this church. Paul didn't see Liberty University being, being built and the, and the vision that was led by Dr. Falwell Sr. that has transformed so many lives through the local church. But here's what I know. Paul finished his race. And my race is not Paul's race. My race isn't your race. Paul says you need to see the stars and the perspective that every part of this journey and this mission that we're on, every one of us has a race and it's all part of the grand story in perspective as we look at the stars. As we see the big picture of what God is doing, my responsibility is to finish my race and fight the good fight. But listen, don't miss this. The last part of that verse, he says, I have kept the faith. Faith is the substance of things that I'm wishing for and anticipating. It's the evidence of things I can't see. Paul lived it out. He said, I fought and I finished because I leaned and I was faithful. You need to see the stars in the past. And then in verse 8, he wraps up this paragraph and he sees stars in the future. Look at verse 8. He says, henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, referring to Jesus Christ himself, which, mind you, is the only one who can then deliver that crown. The righteous judge will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Beloved, the word all is a great word. A professor that I had I don't know if you had him, Paul R. Fink. He used to teach us in our inductive Bible study class what the word all means. And I'll give it to you. It's real easy. All means all. And that's all that all means. For everyone, all, 100% of those, Paul says, of those 
who have loved his appearing. You love his appearing by doing something. You remember to anticipate. And when you anticipate, you see what Paul is telling Timothy in this anticipation call. You anticipate by preparation. You anticipate by faithfulness. You anticipate by making sure that your mind and your heart and your lives is stayed and founded right here on the truth. That is the word that has been breathed from the mouth of God. Paul had a great perspective. Matt Chandler does a great job of really summarizing some of this stuff and kind of goes like this. You need to remember, this is not all there is. God is involved in the mess of this world so he can share his joy with you now and bring you into his, into his perfection one day. This morning, this morning is an opportunity. In the minutes to come, there's an opportunity to invite him to come in for those of you that have never done that. This morning, there's an opportunity for those of you that know him to keep walking through the valleys and the peaks of life with him and look forward with anticipation. We all know this. Christmas comes with great anticipation. It's built in. But Christmas also finishes so quickly every year. What we look forward to soon lies behind us. But you can look forward to a day that will never end and a future that will never disappoint. The decorations will get packed away. I hope so. I know there's some in here that just leave them up. But this year, hope and joy need never be packed away. You can look to, at God who came and laid in a manger and you can look forward to the day when he comes again and love his appearing. Anticipate. Let him shape your perspective. Remember, he is coming. He has come. Father, in this moment, we thank you for the, for the promise promise that the promise that gives us everything that we need the promise that overcomes and the perspective that allows our faith to go far beyond the bloods and sweat and the tears that we that we lose over these years God we come to you with great anticipation may we find those mercies new every single morning draw us closer to you, even in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.